Luke 24, 1 through 49. That can be found in your pew Bibles on page 748, 749, and I didn't look, it might be further than that. Luke 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices that the spices they prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to be like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Verse 14. Now that same day, two of them were going to the village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us what they had seen, that, that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going farther, but they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us? on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them 
when he broke the bread. Verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they, were, and while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses, you are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. May God bless the reading of his word. An incredible story of heroism and sacrifice during that massive outbreak of tornadoes last Friday. It's about a mother who used her own body as a human shield to protect her children as their house came crashing down on top of all of them. We get her story tonight from NBC's Tom Costello. Huddled in the basement with a massive tornado bearing down on their new home, Stephanie Decker had just seconds to protect 8-year-old Dominic and 5-year-old Reese. So she wrapped them in a blanket and laid on top of them, just as the house started coming apart. Everything was just slamming into my back. But I had my children in the blanket, and they were screaming, Mommy, I can't live without you. I don't want to die. Please don't let me die. And I said, you're not going to die. We're going to make it. When the storm cleared, the home had been wiped from its foundation. Stephanie and the kids were buried. I took my phone and I made a video to my husband. It was Dominic who climbed out and ran for help. A neighbor, Sheriff's Deputy Brian Levins, came running with friends to find Stephanie with a severed leg and bleeding heavily. She's like, I'm, I'm dying, I'm dying. I'm like, yeah, I ain't gonna let you die. I ain't gonna let you die. Using a belt as a tourniquet, they got her out and into an SUV for a mad dash to an ambulance. But Stephanie's husband, Joe, only knew his wife had stopped texting from the basement. Are you okay? Are you guys okay? So you got to get your babe. He rushed home to find this. It was at the hospital he learned of Stephanie's injuries. One leg severed at the knee, another at the ankle. The kids didn't have a scratch. But she's alive, and the kids are alive. So I told her, I'm like, kids get to see you. You get to see your kids grow up. It's all that matters. I love you. At the hospital today, Stephanie said she's no hero. I call myself a mom. I mean, I love my kids. One family built on a foundation of love, faith, and sacrifice. Tom Costello, NBC News, Henryville, Indiana. Incredible story out of Indiana tonight. So that all happened about a month ago. And I think it helps, particularly if you've been a Christian for a while and, and you lose a sense of 
what Christ has done for us, it helps to give some reminder of, you know, this is really a, a picture of Christ to some degree. I, you know, uh, she risked her life for her kids. In the end, she lost one leg at the hip and the other leg at the ankle. Uh, she gave no thought to herself, only for her kids. As she lay there, fearful that she was dying, she was going to bleed out, she recorded a message on her camera phone for her husband so he'd have something to remember her by. Incredibly moving. And so it was all over the news. If you watch TV news in those two or three days, I don't think you could miss the story. And, uh, you know, the, the commentator introduced it as an incredible story of bravery and heroism. She used her body as a human shield to protect her kids. And of course, this is what Christ did for us. And more. He didn't just give up his legs, he gave up his life. He didn't do it for people who loved him. He did it for people who didn't care that he existed and, and some people who hated him. He didn't do it just for his closest family or friends. He did it for the world. The effect of his sacrifice, what he won for, by his sacrifice, is not just the life of people close to him, but eternity for all who would take it. And think of the power distance. She sacrificed for her children. He, the Lord of the universe, sacrificed for us. Think also what we celebrate today, the power beyond sacrifice. She won't get back the use of her legs. She won't get back her legs. He got back life that he can give to all of us. So here we have a, a picture of the gospel, in, 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 a, in a sense, a fleshing out of the gospel in human life, in America, within the last month. It's an extraordinary example and story of the gospel. And notice, so the, the, the news media picked it up and celebrated it. Incredible story of bravery and heroism. You couldn't turn a channel without finding this. Which raises a question. Today, there's a lot of people who celebrate, uh, but there's a great many, perhaps even more, who don't celebrate Friday's story of bravery and heroism. Many people in our culture today have no interest. And, and you wonder why. You know, if this story creates so much passion, why not Friday's story? Why not today's story? And I would suppose a part of the reason is people can honor Christ for his sacrifice. But what we celebrate today, the idea that he rose from the dead, Maybe this is something that ancients could accept because they were credulous and superstitious. But how can we suppose today that anyone actually rises from the dead? It's not like it's something we see regularly. I mean, we've never seen it before. Maybe they could accept this notion. But it's not really realistic for us. And so the Good Friday story is a wonderful thing, at least of compassion, maybe misguided, but at least compassion, or at least a sacrifice. But Easter Sunday? Resurrection? How do you believe that? 
The notable feature here is that the ancients didn't believe it either. When the first disciples, well, the first disciples had no anticipation that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. They didn't expect him to rise from the dead. What they expected was that maybe he was a prophet, maybe he was Messiah. But once he was killed, all those hopes, all those expectations were dashed. There is no more future once he dies. You see, there were, had been Jews before Jesus that people thought were Messiah. And there were Jews after Jesus that people thought were Messiah. And they would lead guerrilla movements. And as they succeeded, their followers would say, maybe he's the Messiah. Maybe he's going to come and deliver us. Now, the authorities knew how to put an end to that messianic expectation. All they had to do was capture and execute the Messiah. And once they'd done that, then everyone knew the obvious. He's not Messiah. He didn't succeed. He died. And so when Jesus was crucified, the disciples themselves say here, we thought he might be the Messiah. But then he was sentenced to death and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And the obvious implication is he's dead. He can't redeem us. He can't redeem Israel. He's not the Messiah. So Luke 24, and almost all of Luke 24, except we get to the very end, almost the only thing that Luke 24 is concerned about is this. How did the disciples come to the conclusion that Jesus rose from the dead? How did they reach that conclusion? You see, now I want to clarify one, we use language loosely, improperly today. They did not come to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. You see how we use the word believe? You know, ever since, you know, at least for a couple hundred years, because of some philosopher, philosophical trends, we use the word, we distinguish between two things. We distinguish between the things you know, because they're based on empirical evidence or rational logic, from the things you believe. So for us, to believe something is, you have this hope that it's true, even though you have no evidential basis for it being true. You know, believe is, you know, sometimes you hope it's true, even when you have a good suspicion it's not true. Now, they did not come to believe in the resurrection. They came to be convinced that the resurrection had occurred. For them, it was not a matter of hoping in the absence of evidence. They had, they walked into their, this day, this Sunday morning, this, this first resurrection day, they walked into it with the expectation that Jesus was dead in a tomb. And then by the time the day was over, they had concluded he was not in that tomb and he was not dead. Luke tells their story. It's not a story of hoping. It's a story of realizing that the end was over. And then coming to a new realization that a new chapter of the story had begun. So let's take a look at this together. Each of the Gospels tells the resurrection story with a a somewhat different slant. Now Luke's whole point of this story is this. Nobody ever expected this to happen. And in fact, they fought it, they, they resisted, they resisted, they resisted, until they finally came to the conclusion that yes, indeed, it had happened. So turn with me to Luke chapter 24. 
I'm going to take you through the passage and show you how many incidents they had. And each time they thought, it can't be true. This makes no sense. These things don't happen. Until in the end, they concluded it must be true. So take a look at Luke chapter 24, verses 1 to 8. And here's the story. You know, the women, uh, the women followers of Jesus, they wanted to go to the tomb. Why? Because he'd been dead. He was dead. They went to the tomb. And, and they wanted to anoint his body with spices. You know how it is, right? We embalm bodies so they don't rot and smell. But in that day, they didn't embalm bodies. They just packed them with a lot of heavy spices. And Jesus had been buried too hastily the day before. He died just at sundown. The Sabbath was coming. They hurriedly put him in the tomb. The women walked, walked along, saw where he'd been buried. There was no time to anoint him for burial. They just put him in the tomb, rolled a rock over it, and then the women... After the Sabbath, the next day, they went out to anoint him, to take proper, show proper devotion to the dead man that they loved. Verse 2. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Now, this is the first hint that something's going on. We'll find out later on, that stone was not rolled away for Jesus' sake. Jesus didn't need that stone rolled away. We'll find out later on in the chapter, he comes and he goes, Enclosed buildings or open buildings, you know, it doesn't matter. He didn't need that stone rolled away. That stone rolled away for their benefit so that they could see. And verse 3, and they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So here they have an empty tomb. While they're wondering about this, they don't believe. They don't, they don't draw the conclusion, oh, he must have risen. He must be somewhere else. While they're wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. Clothes that gleamed like, like lightning? Two angels stood beside them. And in their fright, these women bowed down with their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. So they see the empty tomb. Then they have the angels. And the text still doesn't say they believed. Verse 6, He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you. While he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day raised again. So now they have a third line of evidence, the empty tomb and the missing body. They have the angels declaring that Jesus is risen. And then they're reminded of Jesus' own words. But still, they don't seem to put two and two together. They, they don't seem to draw the what to us, in hindsight, is a logical conclusion. All it says is, they ran off, verse 9, they ran back to the 11 and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and others. And as they tell this group of men that they've seen the empty tomb, they've heard the angels, they remembered what Jesus had told them, what do the men say? The men do not believe the women because their words seem to them like nonsense. Again, they don't expect Jesus to rise. They don't believe it when they're told he rose. It's like crazy talk. Now, Luke doesn't tell us why they disparaged women. W women were, you know, let's admit it, women were second-class citizens in the first century. They aren't for Luke. Luke highlights the role of women. He highlights the, whole, the role of a lot of different disenfranchised people throughout his gospel. Luke has a, shows Jesus' preferential treatment of women, of the poor, and so forth of the sick. Maybe they discounted it because they were women. Uh, 
Maybe they discounted it just because it was the first time they'd heard it. But the obvious reason for them discounting it is simply this. It's nonsense. Dead people don't rise. The only one who showed any interest at all was Peter, verse 12. He got up and he ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen that Jesus had been wrapped with. He saw the strips of linen laying there. The tomb was open. The tomb was empty. The strips of linen were there. But still, he doesn't conclude that, oh, Jesus must have risen. What does he conclude? He went away, wondering to himself what had happened. What had happened? What to you and I is, uh, is obvious in hindsight hasn't yet occurred to Peter. Dead people don't come back to life. It doesn't happen. And so then we read the next incident. Jesus appears, two, two of them, two of their group, are walking back home from Jerusalem. And they're planning on spending the night at Emmaus, a town about, a village about seven miles away. Two of them are going to a village called Emmaus. And as they were walking along and talking about what had happened, Jesus joins them. Now, for some reason, they're kept, the assumption is, God keeps them from recognizing who Jesus is. And they have this discussion back and forth. And Jesus says, well, what are you talking about? And they're surprised he doesn't know. And they tell Jesus about his own story. And then in verse 22, they say, some of our women have amazed us. They went to the tomb. They found the body was missing. They came and told us that they had a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of us, like Peter, went to the tomb and, and they didn't see the body. And they didn't see the angels. They still haven't come to the conclusion. So Jesus says to them, incognito, Jesus says to them, Isn't this all what scripture told you? And as the angel told the women, so now Jesus tells the two on the road to Emmaus, Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what Scripture said. So here they have the testimony of the women. Here they have the testimony of Scripture. And he still, they still don't believe it. Then they approach the village. Jesus stays with them and has lunch, or has dinner. And as Jesus takes the bread, and he gives thanks, just as he had at the Lord's Supper just a couple days earlier, he takes the bread, he gives thanks, he broke it, and their eyes were open, and they suddenly recognized him. Here's the first time that they concluded that Jesus had risen. Not because they assumed he would, not because they understood the Old Testament that the Messiah would rise, not because they had hoped for it, but simply because they were face to face with Jesus. So they get up and they turn around and they rush back to Jerusalem to tell everybody else. And as they gather with the uh, eleven, they can't even get out what they'd seen. Because the eleven and those with them, verse 33 said, It's true. Peter has just seen Jesus. The Lord has risen. He's appeared to Simon. And then the two, and so they both start swapping stories. And here's the first time they come to the realization that Jesus has risen. Not because Jesus had told them he would and they understood and expected it. Not because the Old Testament said it would. Not because the tomb was empty, although that raised questions. Not because the grave clothes were there, although that made them wonder. They met Jesus. 
And in the face of incontrovertible evidence, he's not dead, he's alive. They came to the conclusion, the realization, he has risen. But still, they don't understand what's going on. Because you look at the next anecdote. Verse 36, as these two groups are sharing stories, they were still talking about this. Jesus suddenly appeared in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. He greeted them. Shalom. And what was their reaction? Notice how Luke uses four words to describe it. They're startled. They're frightened. They're troubled. They're doubtful. They're spooked. They think he's a ghost. They think maybe his body was separated from his spirit and his spirit is wandering around without his body. And they think he's a ghost. And so he does two things to show them that his physical body has risen. Take a look at verse 39. He points to his hands. He points to his feet. And he says, it's me. Touch me. See that I'm not a ghost. I have flesh. I have bones as you do. And they were still doubtful. And they're still perplexed. And so he says to them, do you have any food here? And he sat down and he ate a meal with them. Because ghosts don't eat. They don't need to eat. So what did it take for them to be convinced that Jesus rose? It took more than an empty tomb. It took more than a missing body. It took more than grave clothes wrapped up and left there. It, it took more than the stone rolled away. It took more than angels. It took more than the Bible. It took more than remembering what Jesus had told them ahead of time. Clearly, they never expected him to rise from the dead because no Messiah had ever done it before and because people don't rise from the dead. They were not credulous ancients. Anyone who feeds you that story is just chronologically arrogant. They know that when people die, they stay dead. And it was only by their direct encounters with Jesus, the two on the road to Emmaus, and then Peter as he met Jesus. It's only by meeting Jesus. And then many others over the course of the next 40 days, including up to 500 at one time. This is why they concluded that Jesus had risen. Because he was alive in front of them, flesh and blood, eating a meal. The only other thought that Luke adds to this chapter is this. What difference does it make for us? You know, Luke's first point takes up almost all the chapter is this. We know Jesus rose because we saw him. We touched him. We ate with him. Then he adds one more thought. Given that Jesus has risen, how does this change everything? How does this change anything? In verse 46, Jesus tells them, This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead. Now that's been done. And now what comes after that? Verse 47. Repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. 
Two ideas here. Because Jesus rose, he's not just a prophet. He's just not, he's not just a prophet like Moses, one of the great prophets. He's not just Messiah. Because Jesus rose, everything is different now. Think of world religions as you know them. No devout Muslim would ever say Muhammad rose. Uh, Buddha did not rise bodily from the dead. Taoism has no savior. Hinduism has many gods, but nothing like a resurrection like this. Because Jesus rose from the dead, he says, everything is different now. In particular, repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name. What he's saying is this. Forgiveness is now possible for those who repent. For those who turn from their self-preoccupation, from those who turn from their sin, repentance. For those who turn away and turn toward God, forgiveness of sins is now possible for the first time. It's made possible by his death, but it's not possible until his resurrection. His resurrection demonstrates that he's just not a visionary who died a sad death. It demonstrates that he is the sacrifice for our sins, which God accepted and rose, raised him from the dead. Forgiveness of sins will be preached. Forgiveness of sins is possible. And the second thing it shows us is that forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. The, the resurrection shows that Jesus is the Savior. He is the one who can forgive sins. The resurrection shows that he's the Savior, not just of Jude, uh, Jews, but of all nations. The gospel, the gospel of repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. The message of Easter is twofold, and here it is. For those who've never embraced Christ, for those who've never turned from their own self-preoccupation, from those who've never turned from their own failure to live up to their own moral codes, for those who've never repented of their sin and turned to Christ, the message of Easter, the message of the resurrection is this. Forgiveness of sins is available, is possible for all who will turn from their sins to Christ. And the message of Easter for those of us who know Christ is that this message must be taken to all the ends of the earth, not just for us, but for the world, not just for Jerusalem, but for the ends of the earth. The message of, of Easter is twofold. For those who don't know him, it is, come, salvation is possible, forgiveness is available. For those who know him, the message of Easter is, go. The rest of the world must hear this, for there is no other Savior. Let's pray together. Father, we would honor the sacrifice that we see of a woman for her children. But we would honor also even more, the sacrifice we read 
of a God who sends his son to die for the world. Father, this Easter, may Jesus' words burn in our hearts so that those who've never come to him for forgiveness would do so. So that those who've come to him for forgiveness would help to bring this message to the rest of the world. Father, we thank you for what Easter means for Jesus, for us, and for the world. In his name we pray. Amen.